0: About a century has passed since Abraham arrived in Canaan and now the record of his life is being brought to a close Genesis 25 will continue the redemptive story by focusing on the life of Isaac but not without recording God's faithfulness to fulfill his word concerning Ishmael for the Lord is our defense, soon us. for the Lord is our defense, soon for the Lord is our defense. 38 years have passed since Sarah died, and in the opening 11 verses, we learn that Abraham takes another wife in the person of Keturah, and they have six sons. Many believe that this marriage took place actually while Sarah was still alive, but I don't believe it's necessary to look at it that way. Here is a man that is literally being fruitful in old age. But the focus of the passage is to show that Isaac is the favored son. In John 3.35, we're told that the father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hands, speaking, of course, concerning Christ. But you see it here in verse 5 with Abraham's particular affection and love shown toward Isaac. In contrast, the children of the concubines that Abraham had, namely Hagar and Keturah, are given gifts and then sent away from Isaac we saw that with Ishmael the same is true of Keturah's children as well and of course you see you see something of a distinction here in how God deals with the world and deals with his people with the world he gives gifts he provides for them abundantly in various ways but to those who are in Christ there is particular gospel inheritance that is unique to them. And so after 175 years on this earth, Abraham passes away and he is buried by both Ishmael and Isaac in the cave of Machpelah. In verses 12 through 18, we have the closing of the account regarding Ishmael. But it's not just that, it's also making us aware that what God had promised in Genesis 17, 20, that of Ishmael, there would be 12 princes he has been faithful to his word, and that has come to pass. In the last chapter, we had detailed for us the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. Well, from verse 19, the narrative picks up from where we left off, and we focus again on Isaac. We're told that there's a problem, two prayers, and a prophecy. Now, the problem is a barren womb, but we learn that Isaac prays for Rebekah, and it takes 20 years before finally she falls pregnant. Now, when she's pregnant, she becomes at some stage aware of an unusual violence in her womb. She, she is concerned about what's going on. And so she goes to God in prayer and seeks his face, and God reveals to her that she is carrying twins, that there's a rivalry because there's two nations in her, and that the elder will serve the younger. Now, as far as Esau serving Jacob, we don't really see that in their lifetime. In fact, it's not until the time of David in 2 Samuel 8, where we find that the Edomites are under Israel. And ultimately then, it will find its greater fulfillment in Christ, who crushes all his enemies and reigns over all nations. Verses 24 through 28 record for us the birth of the twins. Also, their distinct appearance and nature, as well as the opposing parental favoritism that develops as time goes on. It's also important to understand chronologically here that Abraham, though his death already is recorded, had about 15 years of enjoying Jacob and Esau. They were about 15 when he passed. Fast forward a few years, and from verse 29 through to the end, we have the tragic circumstances of Esau despising his birthright. Now, the birthright functioned as the inheritance of the eldest. Double the inheritance would be expected. He would also stand in the position of authority within the family. And within the Abrahamic line, there was an indication of the spiritual heritage also within the birthright. And so, with Esau despising his birthright, not only is he sacrificing the natural, but he is also showing his despising of the spiritual heritage that is to be passed on in the family as well. And so what happens is, really, the hunter, Esau, becomes the hunted, as Jacob takes advantage of the carnal appetites of his brother and negotiates an exchange of the birthright for the stew. And so we come to application one. God does not forsake any generation prepared to follow in the footsteps of spiritual giants. Few men leave a mark upon the world like Abraham, but the blessing of God does not die with spiritual giants. Verse 11 tells us that God blessed Isaac. Just as he blessed his father, he blesses Isaac. And so you may have known other spiritual giants, the kind of equivalent of Abraham that you have known, real men of God, real women of God, what that does for you is encourage you to think of God can do the same with me. And it calls you to step forward, to step up, to embrace the challenge and put God first the way they did. Two, funerals are opportunities of influence. There are people that we only see at funerals and weddings and things of that nature For Isaac and Ishmael, they walked a completely separate path apart from one another, but the death of Abraham brings them together. When that happens in your life, go to the funerals, go to the weddings, because they afford an opportunity that you may not have at any other occasion to positively influence those that need your help. 3. God's promises do not negate prayer. Knowing that God planned to carry on his purpose through him Isaac could have taken the passive approach with regard to his wife's barrenness and just left it there, but he doesn't. Instead, rather than following in his father's footsteps and taking a concubine like Hagar, he prays. He seeks the face of God and prayed, no doubt, for the better part of the 20 years. God's promises are not to be assumed. We are to pray for them, which is why, for example, even though God has promised to provide for us, We're instructed by Jesus to pray for our daily bread. So are you taking God's promises and praying over them and for their fulfillment? Four, man's problem is in his nature. You see this powerfully illustrated in the rivalry and contention between Jacob and Esau in the womb. Before they're born, before they're even conscious of their actions, that rivalry is seen in how they're treating one another. You moms and dads need to remember this. No amount of methodology is going to address human nature. What changes human nature, what prevents the kind of rivalry that we see here in your children, is the gospel. Mom, dad, preach the gospel. Preach it every day. Only that will address the real problem of our nature. Five, God is sovereign in the characteristics and constitution of all men. Jacob and Esau are very different, and so it is with many siblings. Children, you don't have to be jealous of your siblings. In fact, fight any sense of jealousy within your heart. Instead, appreciate the differences. Pray that God would give you godly interests, that he would then help you understand what your gifting is, and then that you would develop and refine those gifts over the years for his glory. You don't have to walk the path of another in order to please God. Embrace who you are and how your characteristics can lend themselves to serve God and live for his glory and let others walk their path as well. Finally, serving carnal appetites is a sure path to hell. Jacob is far from godly at this stage, but he doesn't undervalue precious things. Esau, on the other hand, ignores God's word, ignores the mark of circumcision upon him, and proves himself to be superficial and careless. Even after he sells his birthright, it's like he's oblivious to what he has done. He just eats and drinks and gets up and goes out as if nothing happened. Now listen to me, boys and girls, because Esau provides a really strong warning. He is one who had the gospel put to him, set in front of him, and he ignored it day after day after day. And I don't want that to be the case for you. It would be awful to think that you, having heard the gospel, having been taught to run to Jesus Christ, that not only would you ignore it, but when you ignore it, you just carry on in your life as if it's nothing. Oh, boys and girls, it's not nothing. This is despising the birthright. This is very, very dangerous. And so I want you, I want you even now to see the appeal of Jesus Christ for you to come to him, to see upon the cross that he is dying there for sinners. He is shedding his blood to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, And he invites you to come. He invites you to believe. He invites you to rest on him. Oh, boys and girls, don't turn away. Don't despise your birthright. Don't ignore the invitation to come onto Jesus Christ and to live. Even now, even now, talk to mom, talk to dad about how you can know you are saved. And believe. Don't despise the birthright. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved.